The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, it's Jordan Younger, your host of the Balance Blonde Soul on Fire podcast. Here we go deep on all things astrology, awakening, wellness, motherhood, channeling, aliens, and so much more. We have deep conversations. We go to other realms. It's a lot of fun. So stick around. Let's dive on in. I cannot wait to connect. Hello, hello. Happy New Year and welcome back to the show. I'm so happy that you're here. We are kicking off the new year with a very special conversation with a dear, dear friend of mine who feels like a sister, Emery Hall. You probably recognize Emery if you listen to this show because she has been on the podcast once before, but she's never been on just her. So she was on the show before with her husband, Trevor Hall, who is hands down my favorite musician, as well as so many of yours. Trevor is amazing. I have been his fan since I was 14 years old. And it has been the gift of a lifetime to become dear friends with Emery and Trevor and their sweet baby boy, who's now a toddler, who Atticus got to hang out with recently. I am just in awe of Emery and Trevor, their authenticity in the world, everything that they bring to this universe and this planet. And Emery, oh my God, she's just such a true magnetic soul. She feels like such a soul sister to me. She is a beyond talented poet. She has a book called Made of Rivers, which is her poetry book that is Next level, it unearths the depths of the human heart at every turn. It touches on everything from grief and loss to motherhood, self-discovery, healing, transformation. It is full of magic and it is next level. Emery and Trevor also created an EP around the book, which is basically her poems made it into music and scored by Trevor and spoken by Emery and listening to them will open you up in the craziest way. They are so magnetic and beautiful. Even Jonathan cried listening to them. And this conversation is truly special. We talk about Emery's loss of her sister when she was very young and the dance with grief that she has been on ever since. We talk about writing and motherhood postpartum anxiety medication. Honestly, Emery is like my motherhood Sherpa. She did everything like, I don't know, eight months before me. And she has always been my go-to for motherhood. And now it is so special to watch her blossom on her second pregnancy, which they recently announced on social media. And we were not holding this episode until she announced it, but we wanted to make sure that we could talk about all things pregnancy. So we do in this episode. And I'm just so excited. So let's get into this conversation with the amazing Emery Hall. We have to tell the listeners, we've never met in person until now, but I feel like I know you so well. We have been talking so closely for years and about motherhood, about some of the most intimate moments in life. (laughs) And I I mean, I know you, but here we are in person. It's so crazy. I 
like speaking publicly and doing this type of thing is not like my super comfortable zone. And when I was like thinking today and just like getting prepared, I was like, but I'm going to see Jordan. I just feel yes. like I know you. You're like my sister. Exactly. And then I was like, got here and I was like, I literally have never hugged you in person. How is that possible? Yeah. And I'm an open book with you. Yeah. So I don't know how it all happens. It's just our stars align. I think. Exactly. It's so true. Yeah. yeah. It was this morning that really hit. And I had to think really hard about this. Had I met you and Trevor in person or not? Same. And it was just this weird where I knew that I hadn't because I knew I would remember. Totally. But also, how weird. It's so cool. I know. Some people are just kindred. Just yeah. Kindred happens. spirits. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. Yeah. How's your trip to LA been so far? So fun. I feel like with a kid, you see everything so differently. Trevor and I were laughing this morning that like we would never spend time on the Santa Monica Pier. Yes. But Kai is like living his best life on that pier. So we, it's just, it's magical. Everything turns magical through the eyes of your son or your daughter. And yeah. I think that's what's happening. Totally. Yeah. I think that all the time. I'm like, I never knew I would be spending my weekend at parks and totally. like scoping Museum. out the best uh, playgrounds and stuff. <laughs> and that's what we do now. I know you kind of relive your childhood through them. Yes. It's kind of amazing. Yes. Have you found that? Do you feel things coming up from totally. like when you were two and a half? Yeah. It's like one, I see my parents so differently. I think that's something I wasn't prepared for is like, you step into their shoes and then all of a sudden you view your entire life through a different lens because you're like, this is what they were doing for me and this is how they showed up for me. And and then you watch yourself doing it. And I think that's one of the most profound experiences of becoming a mom is seeing your parents differently and mm -hmm. your childhood differently. And then there's just the joy of seeing the world through a child's eyes. And like yesterday, we were just watching the waves crash in Santa Monica and I was just like, what is Kai seeing? I wrote a poem about that. Like I watch your eyes, watch the moon. I wonder what you two are whispering about. Oh my God. And it's just like, yeah, like what are you experiencing and tapping into that and just seeing the world with such wonder has been one of the great joys of parenthood for me. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Yeah. Your poetry about motherhood brings me to tears every time. And Jonathan and I turned on the EP that yes. you and Trevor did. Yeah. So beautiful, your poems out loud. And Jonathan was like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> because these words are so profound and so beautiful about motherhood and life. It's just gorgeous. Thank you. You're so talented. It's, it's been so fun and yeah. profound. Yeah. Tell us, like, have you always been a writer? Yes, I've always been a writer. I think I was telling you that story before this pod of just like, writing has always been the way that I process and I heal and I write to understand and I write to learn. And it's always been this like sacred language or tool or vessel for me. I just never imagined like really making a career out of it, I think, because it was just such a sacred part of my inner world. And I couldn't have imagined years ago being vulnerable enough to share it. But one of the stories that I was telling you, like I, when I was writing deep in writing Made of Rivers and kind of the depths of my postpartum period, I remembered a moment when I was eight years old after my sister had passed, my parents put me in like therapy. It was this place called Center for Hope. And I think like any good parent, they just wanted me to have a safe space to process losing a sibling and, and the kind of turmoil that erupted 
in my life thereafter. And I would go in for several sessions. And I remember the therapist trying to like sit me down and ask me to talk about, you know, my grief and what I was going through, what I was feeling as an eight-year-old kind of processing, bearing my sister. And I remember I just felt this wall. It was just this visceral wall of not being able to verbally communicate, you know, what I was experiencing internally. And I remember after some weeks or months went by and she just kept leaving the sessions. I was defeated. She was defeated. She sat me down one morning and I can still remember it clear as day. And she said, you know, if you can't talk about your grief, can you at least write about it? And she handed me a piece of paper and a pen. And that was the moment that my world cracked open and everything that I had been sitting with kind of poured out of me. And from then on, my journals were my refuge and how I really just processed anything in my life. And I didn't think about that moment with that therapist from so many years ago until I was deep into writing Made of Rivers. And I was like, oh my God, it's always been there. And I can't believe I'm writing this book now. And I never thought of that in years. And that to me was just like, okay, this is what I was born to do. And I'm coming back to my creative home and writing this book. And this is what everything was leading up to. And, yeah. and this book has really felt that way. Totally. It makes sense with the title, Made of yeah. Rivers, because rivers, they weave through everything in your life. So it's like the river back to the eight-year-old self. Yeah, it's so interesting. I still feel like the same little girl just writing about her pain and her love and her joy and her loss and everything in between. And, you know, that part of me has never left. And now I get to explore it you know, as a 33-year-old coping with, you know, life as it is now and and parenthood and everything that comes with that. And it's the same vessel. It's the same safe space. And now I get to kind of let people in and share it and and see what they take from it too, which has also been incredible. Yeah, yeah that's so beautiful. Yeah. Wow. So going back to when you were an eight-year-old, yeah. how did your sister pass? She fell off a horse. It was a really tragic. Oh my God. Just random incident. The horse was walking and she fell four feet onto sand and the way she hit her head put her in a coma. And my parents had to pull life support 48 hours later. Oh my God. Yeah. And, you know, she was my older. I had one sister in between us. She was the oldest, my parents' first child. And you know, there's a poem in Made of Rivers where it says something like, now that I am a mother, I know what my own mother lost. Now that I'm a mother, I'm grieving for her. And I just, again, like seeing your parents through new lenses, like in birthing Kai and falling in love with Kai, I saw what they lost in losing her. And I just have a deep respect and grief and understanding of really how how much their world shattered that day. And I'm just astounded that they've been able to pull through the way they have. And so much of becoming a mother has been understanding what they went through now that I have my own. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. When you have your first child, it just changes everything. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like I could always imagine that a parent losing a child, there's no worse thing. You could yeah. always imagine but now, like, oh my my, Atticus is my soul. Yes. And being a first child, too. Like, yeah. He, and I don't know, because I don't have more kids yet. But 
that first child that makes you a mother. I know. It's everything. It's a limb. Mm-hmm. It, there's no separation. And it, yeah, wow, to, to just experience that love. And then also on the other side of that, feel the depth of that loss has been really eye-opening. Yeah. Do you feel like you can communicate with your sister? Do you ever feel like signs from her? Oh, all the time. I feel specifically like this is something I talk about a lot when I talk about grief is that grief never leaves us. Like, I don't think it's not like a death sentence or a life sentence, but I do feel that we, our grief is with us forever. And the word I've been using to describe it is like, it's a metamorphosis. Like it evolves as we do. And and in different chapters of my life, it's taken on different colors or flavors or or what have you. And with Kristen specifically, she's just, her presence has been in my life in so many different ways. And I've actually, it's so surprised. It was, it really, you know, kind of knocked the wind out of me to feel as closely to her as I do through Made of Rivers. I feel like she was the guiding light through the whole book. And I feel like the book came from her And that's just so interesting because it's been, you know, she passed in 1998. It's been so many years. And yet I feel closer to her now through this process of Mm -hmm. writing than ever. And she's always with just signs, presence, you know, it's just, it's crazy. Some years I feel like I've lost her and I've lost her presence. And other years I'm like, she's sitting right here next to me. Yeah, totally. That veil is so thin. So thin. And I feel like losing her at such a young age for you shaped your life like it shaped your entire who you are yeah so in many ways well I always like to view everything from the lens of like how was this a gift because I believe we have eternal lifetimes and we chose what was gonna happen to us before we came here totally and it doesn't take away the tragedy ever of losing someone but I also like to see well maybe this was part of the path all along definitely I feel like One of the most powerful things in my life has been able to, you know, use grief as a catalyst to create art, to create beauty, to see the world differently, to connect with people deeply. And I think had I not gone through what I had gone through as a kid, like I've met so many people because of that. And I've met so many people in their grief and strangers on the street or my homestay mother in Nepal who lost her own daughter. Like grief has been this like bridge for me with so many people. And not only that, but it's catalyzed so much of my work in my life. And so to me, that just speaks to the gift that was Kristen and, and, you know, what her loss has taught, not only taught me, but given me as Mm -hmm. kind of strange as that sounds, because I know grief is not the most enjoyable thing, but it it's a part of life. No one walks out unscathed by Mm -hmm. it. And so what we do with it, I think is is the real kind of work. Okay, I'm going to share a crazy statistic with you. Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors and take about 20,000 breaths per day. And the indoor air that we breathe is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air. 
and in some cases up to a hundred times more polluted, according to the EPA. And did you know that air pollution is responsible for nearly 7 million premature deaths globally? So what's the solution? I'm going to tell you about my favorite solution, which is Air Doctor. It is the air purifier that captured the attention of all of the biggest media outlets. I just trust it so much. You guys know I have suffered from living in toxic mold. I have suffered from being allergic to dust and all the things. And I am always looking for the best air purifier out there. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants to your lungs so that you don't have to. This includes pollutants such as allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses that make you sick. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day breathe easy money back guarantee. So if you don't love it, you just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code BALANCED. You'll receive up to $300 off all air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a three-year warranty on your unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use promo code BALANCED. Hi, I'm Sif Hyder, the founder of Hooray. I'm a wellness entrepreneur and digital creator, and this is my show, The Dream Bigger Podcast. Listen, I love dreaming big, but you know what I love more? Actually having the resources to make those big dreams happen. And hey, dreams can sometimes be private jets, but other times they can look a little something like having the best skin of your damn life or starting a successful business or delving into spirituality. So on this podcast, I chat with experts and thought leaders from different fields about their tips and tricks on doing exactly that. Remember to subscribe. We drop new episodes every Tuesday. So see you then. Being an artist has been a through line of your life. Yes. And starting with the writing when you were really young, and I know that you also are a photographer as well as an author. What were your earliest forms of being an artist other than the writing? Because I love that story. Yeah, I think writing was always there. And then actually when I was in high school, I fell in love with darkroom photography. And I think high school, it's just, man, I was so lost in so many ways. And when I look back at that person now, I'm like, man, you were just going through so much and had so few outlets. And the society I was born into and the culture I was born into didn't give me the tools to express, you know, the grief that I was going through. And then also my family was falling apart in the wake of Kristen's death. And so my world was just in turmoil. And one of the safest spaces that I found was the dark room in high school. And that's really where my love for photography kind of started. My mom was like a hobbyist photographer, but some of her work from when she traveled the world still blows my mind today. So it's definitely always been in my blood. But when I was in high school, I would skip class and I would just go in that dark room and develop images. And to me, that was one of the safest spaces during one of the most kind of unsteady and ungrounded times of my whole life. And then, you know, I had a 10 year career out of it up until COVID really, because that photography became the tool 
kind of another language, I guess, so to speak, to tell the stories of when I was living in Asia and traveling and living in Nepal mainly. It was just easier to speak in images at that point in my life than it was in words. And so it became another powerful tool for me, just like writing has always been. Mm-hmm. It's so amazing. Yeah. What was it like living in Nepal? Heaven. <laughs> I'm literally, I don't think if I hadn't met Trevor, I would probably be there full time. Trevor really grounded me in the States and also made me see the United States in a different way because I've now been to pretty much every state and wow. know all the spots because we've done so many cross-country tours That's in so the true. 10 years we've been married. And, and for, you know, most of my teenage years, I had zero interest in America and had found a very unexpected home in this little remote Himalayan country that is Nepal. And when I look back on what Nepal was for me, it's just so obvious now in plain sight, but as it was happening, I didn't I didn't really realize, but I definitely went there searching for something. And I think what it was, was a new understanding of death. And I had taken a class on like Eastern philosophy. And on the day that we were discussing like death and dying through the Eastern lens of Buddhism, Hinduism, whatever, when the teacher was kind of describing it, I was like that. Like, that's what I'm missing, that understanding of, you know, rebirth and and not hiding death, not making it taboo. It's a part of life. And all these kind of Eastern understandings of life, death, and rebirth and everything in between really kind of hooked into my soul. And then it was after that class, I walked into my parents' kitchen and I said, I'm going east. And I ended up on a flight there by myself in 2010 and... One of the first, you know, moments I remember in Nepal was sitting on the street and journaling and watching this dead body be paraded through the streets and these women wailing and there was flowers all over the body. And and it was literally they were passing cafes where people were having coffee. And and I was like, they're not hiding it. They're mm-hmm. they're mourning publicly all of the things that I had been taught to kind of keep bottled up inside and and locked away and not express, you know, outwardly. I found was just interwoven into daily life in Nepal. And I think it healed a huge part of me because it gave me a cultural lens that resonated so much more with me than my own upbringing had in America. And it made me see everything differently. Wow. I can't even imagine (laughs) seeing something like that. No, you can't. One of my favorite temples in Nepal is called Pashupatinath. And there's all the sadhus there, all the monks, the holy men, the aesthetics. And it's on this beautiful river and everybody's praying and singing and dancing. At the same time, there's all these ghats. They're called the burning ghats. And its bodies are burning all day. Funerals are happening all day right on the river, right next to the person that's praying and dancing and singing, right next to the monk that's meditating, right next to the tourist that's taking photos. And you're like, oh. It was so mind-blowing at first, and then I was like, wait, this is actually probably the most natural expression of life itself, and that's what gave me so much just, I think, peace, and it hooked me, and Mm -hmm. I stayed for almost 10 years. I didn't know you were there for that long. Yeah, I mean, I came home in and out, but as much as I could, I was just getting on flights back and, and living there and just... I truly feel more at home there than I do here. And that's been an interesting thing for me to experience. Yeah. And when was the last time that you went back? I haven't come back since COVID. Mm -hmm. I I started right before COVID leading trips there and just curating like my most beloved and epic 
Nepal trip for people with my family and all the people I've met there along the way. And then we did two trips and had one scheduled for March of 2020. And then COVID happened and I got pregnant and I'm just kind of conjuring up the courage to take Kai on a 27-hour flight journey across the world. I'm like, oh my God, when will I do this again? But the the call is so strong. My my little sister, who I met in 2010, she was like 13, uh, was just in my living room in Colorado last week. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so special. So it's just, I get these pieces all the time. Yeah. But yeah, the tie is too strong to avoid it. Yeah. Oh, my God. Past lifetimes <laughs> there, for sure. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beyond. Beyond. Like, beyond. And that's where you and Trevor met, right? We met in India. I mean, we technically met in the States because I was like a fangirl of his music. I don't know if a lot of people know that, but his music changed my life and definitely was like a window into that part of the world because he sings so much about his inspirations from his travel to India. I was in an international university where I was traveling to a different country or two every semester. And one of my semesters was in India. And I had like randomly gotten his email months before at a show in, in the United States. And I emailed him and I said, I'm in India are you here? Like, do you, I would love to see the work you're doing at this ashram that he had been raising money for, for many years throughout his touring. And he happened to be like two hours away, which in India is like insane because you can spend days traveling Mm -hmm. from the top to the bottom. And I took a train there to meet him. And I think we told this on the pod. We did. Yeah. I love that. But tell it again. Yeah. Yeah. Where I showed up at this, I like left my group and I showed up in this town called Allahabad. You know, no tourists go there. It's it's pretty um, remote. And Trevor rolled up in this like beater car with like three monks. And he he greeted me and I and I got in the car and I was only supposed to stay a day. And and the monk that was sitting in the passenger seat of the car kind of turned around and asked me, how long are you staying? And I said, oh, I have to go back to, you know, classes tomorrow. And he said, let me see your train ticket. And he took my train ticket and ripped it in half. Oh, my God. (laughs) And he said, you're staying longer. So I ended up staying about three days. And And did he know, like, in an intuitive way that you two were soulmates or, like, he just (laughs) knew that you were supposed to be there? I I mean, that you and Trevor were soulmates. Who knows? Who knows? It's now looking back on it, there was this street girl named Anjali who we just fell in love with and took under our wing during that time. And we were all standing on the roof of the ashram at one point. And I I was just so taken by Allahabad and by the ashram and the kids. I was like barely thinking of Trevor. Mm-hmm. And I remember the little girl kind of turned to us up on the roof and she just goes, Shadi, Shadi, and points to me and Trevor, which means marriage. Oh. And we were engaged there exactly a year later, oh which is pretty God. crazy. Yeah. Chills. I just actually got chills I all know. over. It's wild. So only a year of like meeting until you oh, got yeah. engaged. Yeah. I like... <laughs> It's just so funny. We laugh now because like we basically didn't date. It was just like, let's you just meet your person and you know. That's true. Yeah. And we were yeah, we were engaged exactly a year later and then married a few months after that. And that was 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Yeah. So you were 23? I was tiny. Yeah, I oh my just God, turned 23. So young. I, looking back on it, like I'm like, I can't even believe 
I thought I was old enough to get married because mm-hmm. <laughs> like now I look at my little sister and I'm like, you're not getting married for so many years. And, I, and yeah. she was like, she's like 22. And I'm like, that's how old I was. Yeah. When I was 23. I mean, <laughs> I, good thing I didn't marry the person <laughs> I was dating, but it's amazing. I know. You two were meant to be. And maybe yeah. if I met Jonathan at that time, actually I did, but we mm. were friends and then we started dating I love that though. when I was 26. So back to you being a fangirl of Trevor's music. Yeah. <laughs> How old were you when you first heard his music? I was in college. I was a freshman in college. I must have been like 18. Mm-hmm. And, and some kid came in and played me the Lime Tree. And I was like, that's a really great song. And I passed it on to my sisters. And one of my sisters actually like really dug into his albums and then kept sending me music. And he basically, his music captivated our whole family. Mm-hmm. I think he touches on some like spiritual level in his music that... I think a lot of us are hungry for, and I think that's what attracts so many people to his music, is he's just touching on something. I don't know what it is. And I feel like my whole family was really craving it. And we they went to more concerts than I did. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that so much. Yeah. As a fellow, a re- like, OG Trevor yes. fangirl, I think I was like maybe 16. I was going to ask, what was like, your first Trevor? I mean, I used to say that I was like 14, but I don't even know like when that song came out. Do Which, you know when was it song? Lime Tree? I think so. He it literally, like, I think he wrote it when he was 16. I don't know when it actually okay. came out, but he wrote it when he was so, super young. Yeah. I mean, I was somewhere between 14, 15, 16, and it was at my yoga studio in Sacramento, which is where I discovered spirituality and like this other way of life that I was craving and I heard I think it must have been Lime Tree but then it was a bunch of other songs yeah and I was like this is the best thing I've ever heard (laughs) this is the music of my soul this like speaks something so I was always a fan always a fan such a fan and then and all every time he would release a new album like obsessed yeah and I would talk about like on the podcast in the earliest days if I could manifest any guests (laughs) like he was on that list it would be like I don't even remember who else but definitely Trevor was on the list and so to this day my listeners are like you manifested Trevor like yeah and if only you knew like I feel so close to you guys now and it's just so special you totally manifested that (laughs) yeah well because I think it was Krista who had been working with you guys and I think I must have said to her like I need to have Trevor on the (laughs) podcast and then it happened first with Deborah Silverman yeah and then solo it's so crazy oh my god so cool yeah but life is amazing our rivers right yeah totally yes all the interconnectedness And I still, I mean, his music is everything. Yeah. It's like the background to all my Instagram videos. It is just so good. (laughs) It's really good. I love it too. I mean, I was a fan, so I got it. I am a fan. Do you have a favorite song or a favorite album? Oh God, it changes so much because now he's already making more music Mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. And I feel like he's just in this huge space of evolution. So now every song that he makes at the barn studio at home now has become my new favorite. Mm -hmm. But there's definitely those like special ones. I think even maybe the ones that I listened to before I I knew him because they just had such a profound impact on my life and and certain periods. And and I don't know, it's so hard to say. Mm -hmm. It's so hard. There's so many good ones. Yeah. (laughs) So many good ones. Yeah. I love Chapter of the Forest. Oh, that was a good one. I love all the Hawaiian themes. Yes. Like, I love all those songs. Kala, mm-hmm. that album. Yeah. Yeah, we were living in Maui trying to make that work during that time. But for people who tour, it's like to live so in the hard. most remote yeah. islands in yeah. the world. Yeah, that was a little logistically That's so difficult. so cool that you guys lived in Maui. 
Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, we li- we tried to make it work. My I have family that's been there for 30 years and it, we just love it. We have such a community there, but like we're on a flight every two weeks, you know, pretty much. Not as much now, but that's a, that's a long way to go for a it little, is. yeah. It really is. Yeah. I cannot even believe that I am talking to you about my idol and my icon, Melissa Wood Tepperberg. Her workouts have changed my life. And the fact that I get to share them with you today as a sponsor of this show is a pinch me moment to say the least. So Melissa created MWH to provide a platform that can help you strengthen both your body and your mind with workouts, meditations, nutrition, and lifestyle content that you can easily commit to. Meditation is the foundation of this practice. MWH offers a collection of meditations to guide you and ground you and help you become your most centered self. I have done them through many, many phases of my life. I remember recovering from Lyme and turning on Melissa's meditations and I cannot tell you how much they have always helped me. Her workouts offer a blend of yoga and Pilates classes to both tone and sculpt your entire body. And this year, MWH launched their seven-day reset and renew program that features both guided workouts and meditations and a week-long nutrition program to help you feel your best from the inside out. Melissa is a thought leader. She changes the way people approach fitness and mindfulness. She has been on this show before and she is as good as it gets. I am obsessed with her. As Melissa says herself, don't trust me, try me. Visit melissawoodhealth.com and use the code BALANCED at checkout to get your first month free off of your monthly membership. That is M-E-L-I-S-S-A-W-O-O-D. H-E-A-L-T-H dot com and use code BALANCED for your first month free. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any diseases. Okay, so... I want to talk about something that has been rocking my beauty routine. I recently discovered something that must be the best kept beauty secret for almost 30 years. And no, it's not collagen. It's better. It's Biosil. Biosil is a supplement that is clinically proven to protect and generate your own collagen. So let's unpack that. First of all, did you know that after 21, we start losing 1% of our collagen per year? So naturally, when I first heard this, I wanted to start taking a collagen supplement ASAP. But then I learned that our body digests regular collagen supplements like any other protein and that the collagen doesn't necessarily go to the right place to help your hair, skin, and nails. So science-backed BioCell works way more effectively. It helps your body make more of your own collagen, the most powerful collagen for you. It's completely vegan. And it has worked such magic on my hair, skin, and nails after only 90 days. And it's super easy to take. You don't have to mix it. You don't have to make a mess. All you do is take BioSil twice daily for the full clinically proven results. So do as I do and start BioSil today. Go to BioSil.beauty and get 30% off your first order with code BALANCED. 
That is biosil.beauty and get 30% off your first product order or subscription exclusively on biosil.beauty with code BALANCED. Yeah. How do you travel so much? How do you like stay know. grounded and organized and just like all those things? You know, I don't know. Like I, I was saying to travel last night at dinner, we've really found home in Colorado. And I feel like the space that we've landed has really healed my relationship with home. If we had done this interview like five years ago, I would have been like, I love to travel. Traveling is like my dharma. It's my flow. I feel most at home when I'm on the road. And that was true for so much of my life. And I think with COVID and becoming a mother and then landing in our like forever home, I think my relationship to being home has healed so much. And I actually want to be home for the first time in a really long time. And now it's, it's really filling me up with so much groundedness and creativity in a way that I'd never experienced before because the road was my kind of got my creative juices flowing. But I don't know, like when I look at our life, I'm like, it seems normal at the time to like take a six month old on a tour bus with 12 other dudes and like travel the country. But then every time I finish and I look back, I'm like, are we crazy? Like, how do we do this? It's just like, it is crazy. It is kind of crazy. It's like you're normal. You guys are used to it. Yeah, we're both just vagabonds in that way. And we tap into that. But I think we're finding in this period of our life, I think we're finding a much greater balance between time at home and filling up our cups that way and, you know, traveling on the road, which is Mm -hmm. always going to be a love of ours. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. You guys make a perfect match for each other in that way. (laughs) Yeah. Because I can't imagine a musician on the road with someone who would prefer to be home all the time. Totally. I mean, that's kind of why I felt like into photography in the first place. I mean, I'd always done it when traveling in Asia, but it was the only way that Trevor and I in those really early years could like actually make our life work because I was on the road with him and then I started doing his tour photography and film and then his social media and then his merch. And and that's how we actually spent a lot of our time together. Otherwise, I, don't, I really don't know how it would have worked. Yeah. Like, especially that young where I was still trying to, you know, find my purpose and my place in this world and my career. I'm just grateful that we were able to like co-create in such a way that allowed our relationship to like still go on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. Keep going. Yeah. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Wow. I love it. You guys are the best. <laughs> Truly the best. I'm so excited to all be together today. I know. I can't wait. I know. All things motherhood. Mm. I want to talk to you because for everyone listening, Emery is my motherhood go-to. She is my teacher, my inspo. Kai is almost a year older than Atticus, right? Yes. Or like he was nine March months. 2021. So yeah. So yeah. December 2021 was Atticus. Okay. So, yeah. It's almost a year. Yeah. In nine months, something like that. And you just had experienced everything first. Mm. And so everything that took place, I was like, I remember sending you novels. Yeah. Novels. I think I was too out of it to even voice note, which is so unlike me, just like written novels. I'm like, this is happening. We're freaking out. Like, what do you do? Newborn life, sleep, like everything. And you helped us so much. You even connected us with the sleep coach that we ended up using. Oh, did you? Yeah. And we spoke to her recently because Atticus had a little 
situation Ditto. after we went to Mexico. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, oh, we still um, use her. Yeah, she's yeah, great. She's she amazing. came up with a recent plan for us. But yeah, you helped in so many ways. Yeah. So mom save moms, yeah, honestly. And totally. I got through it with moms that have been through it mm-hmm. before me. It's just, I don't know how we would do it without each other. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So what was like the early motherhood life for you? And we, sorry, we can talk yes. about this, yeah. right? The fact that I'm pregnant. Yeah. Because we'll wait <laughs> to release it until you've announced. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I can't even believe it. I yeah. truly can't believe it's. I was just saying to you before, like this pregnancy has been very different from my pregnancy with Kai. I mean, one, we're not in a global pandemic and like the world isn't shut down. But two, my body is just handling it in a very different way. And I feel very grateful because I didn't know if I could do it again after yeah. Kai. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. How is it different? I feel good. Like I feel really good. And I didn't know that was possible. And I'd heard other women experience it, but that was so not my experience with Kai. I was sick for the entire nine months and then had a really, really rough postpartum period. And this time around, my body just seemed to like after the eight week mark, just really kick into gear. And it was kind of like, I got this. I know what I'm doing. And the symptoms have been so mild compared. And I'm just really, really grateful. That's amazing. (laughs) Physically, do you feel good? Yes. That's amazing. It's insane. I have like two bad weeks and I was like, I can't do this again. Like just sobbing to Trevor. Like if this is how it's going to be again, like I don't know how I'm going to go on. Mm -hmm. And, and then things dissipated and I'm just, yeah, I feel wonderful. And Everybody tells me, had told me every pregnancy is different. And I believed them, but also I was like, okay, I have to prepare to like be really sick again for a long time. And I did. So I'm gratefully surprised. That's amazing. You're going to be my vision holder (laughs) for my next pregnancy. It's possible, girls. Because I pray and I believe that every pregnancy is, of course, different. Yes. And I do think there's something to the fact that your body knows now. Like the body has been there. The body has been like almost mentally preparing since the last time. Yeah, it's definitely a muscle memory thing. That's been my experiences. I'm just like everything knows what to do now where when it's first happening for the first time, you feel so out of control and like what is happening to my body, my hormones, my mind, everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just kicked into gear this time. Yeah, that's so exciting. Yeah. So you're doing April. I'm doing April. Little hair. A little Aries oh and a boy, God. which I'm just shook by. But yeah, boy mom, for real. Boy mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, my God. Do you guys have any names picked out? We do. We have a few. So exciting. I know. Oh I know. God. Who knows? I always I'm, I like want to meet them first. Yes. But we have a few. That's so exciting. Yeah. So something that we've talked about privately many times is yes. medication yes. while pregnant. We have to discuss. Yes, we do. And I feel like my true following, like on Instagram yeah. and this podcast, They'll have heard me talk about this so many times, but maybe we have some new listeners today too. Like your fans are Mm. here and always new people. Totally. Find their way to the podcast. This was my thing all year. I'm like, what do I do? Do I go off? Do I stay on? Because I had (gasps) never been on an SSRI Mm. before. So like when I got pregnant with Atticus, there was no thought. Right wasn't on one. Right. Didn't know how much I needed one even at that time. Yeah. And then this year, it's just been such a gift in my life. Mm. And for some reason, I had really felt you're supposed to get off of medication before getting pregnant. That was just, I don't know if that came from my own mind or Mm. somebody said that or something. And then I learned so many women (laughs) just do it. So many. Like 
I mean, most of the women that I yeah. know. Um, but like when I really have a like-minded kinship with someone yeah. like you, it means extra yeah. to know. So yeah, talk to us about that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know where I'd be without them. Like I, I've been on and off SSRIs for, since I was in my teens and they've saved me in so many moments. And I remember, you know, one doctor explained to me like, if you were like bleeding from a limb, like you would bandage it. And mental health is just, a, is also a wound. It's just one we can't see. And there's all these stigmas and cultural kind of societal norms around it and judgments. And it can be taboo, especially around like the purest culture of pregnancy and women, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. like so unfair. And I could just go on about that. And because it, it doesn't set women up for success by any means. Totally. And we have, we're coping with so much as people in the world today. We're just, there's so much more up against us, I feel, today than ever. And we all need help. We need something to lean on. And for me, there had been so many points in my life where I really through ego, when I look back on it, where I was like, I can get off my SSRI and I can get off my antidepressant. And then, you know, six months down the road, however long, I would just find myself really under it and below baseline and not thriving, not showing up as my best self. And then I think I just got to a point in the last like few years where I'm just like, I really chemically need assistance. I have been through so much in my life. I have a genetic predisposition, so much stuff, and I need a little boost and that's okay. And then that has become way more true since being a mother because your world just explodes and your anxiety explodes. You're your capacity for feelings on both ends of the spectrum, it just greatly increases. So much joy, so much fear, everything in between. And I was on a antidepressant with Kai and I had been told by my OB at the time and the genetic counselor that really it's totally safe. I mean, so many women do it. And then when I started talking about being on an SSRI during pregnancy, I realized almost everybody I knew had done it. Yeah. Isn't that funny? That's the thing. So it's like, why aren't we talking about this more and normalizing it? And I hope this conversation does that. And, you know, in my postpartum period with Kai, I was like so mentally unwell and in severe postpartum depression, anxiety, and OCD. And it wasn't until I was like diagnosed with it from a therapist that specialized with maternal health. When she named it, I was like, oh my God, that's exactly where I am. What do I do? And she was like, well, here's things to do to keep your baseline good, but also like you can up your antidepressants. I was on such a small dose. And when I did, it was like a matter of days. I mean, I'm so sensitive to medicines. Mm-hmm. I'm And my whole world started changing. And and with that boost, I, I was, you know... I was able to enjoy motherhood more. I started healing. The postpartum depression dissipated. And I'm still on that dose with this pregnancy. And I'm fine. And I'm a better mom for it. Honestly, a better wife, a better artist, a better person showing up in this world. And I've just really had to make peace with it. And I'm glad I did because I'm just like so grateful that I have it and that I have access to a psychiatrist and medication that can help me show up in the world better. Mm -hmm. I love that so much. Yeah. I hope that this is inspiring other people because it's so true. When I started talking about this and the messages that I received, like by the hundreds, if not more of people saying I did it, 
totally fine, all this stuff. But then the people in my life yes. have gone through pregnancy with something like an SSRI. Yeah. And yeah, that's how I feel. Like the the analogy that you said yeah. about if your if your limb was bleeding or yeah. something, you would put a bandage. Totally. That's how it feels. Like I was just like walking around like not okay. Yeah. But also thinking like, because I had never been on a medication like that. Yeah. Like also thinking this is just who I am. Yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately, yeah. I didn't know or believe that it could be different. And then when you get to the other side, isn't it so insane how you were like, you look back and you're like, I was so unwell. Yes. Like, I can't believe I was getting up and like going through my day like that. And like it there, you see the light and you're like, yeah, you see the darkness. Yeah, then you can really see because <sighs> when that's just your life, you have to just kind of deal with it and just yeah. live with it and just push through yeah. or disassociate from it or whatever yeah. I was doing. And now I know because I tried to wean off of it. And then I also accidentally left it in right. home when I went. I think I told you all I've this. Done that before. Yeah, when I went to Mexico yeah. and I'm like, oh, well, I'm trying to wean off anyway. Maybe yeah. this is divine intervention. Yeah. By the fourth day, like at first I was totally fine. I'm yeah. like, this is not going to be a big deal. Yeah. By the fourth or fifth day, I was a mess. Like, because also not only like, I don't really know what it would like to be be off of it, but detoxing. Totally. Withdrawal. Yeah. So I was like, oh my God. Like every single racing thought came back. All of the OCD. I was like, no, 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 no. No, I can't do this. Now that I know what the light looks like, I can't go backwards. That's And my therapist had told me that might be the case. Yeah. But she tried to stay really, really out of the decision, of course, because she wasn't going to make the decision for me. But she had lightly said, I don't know if it would be really hard to handle now that you've seen stability. I feel like our biology is so different postpartum. Like we're just not the same women we were Mm -hmm. like biologically, chemically. Our brains are different. Our hormones are different. So that's one of my, my postpartum therapists really helped me just like kind of acknowledge and affirm and make peace with the fact that I'm not the same person Mm -hmm. postpartum after becoming a mother. And my needs are different. My mental health needs are different. And that's not to say that some women can totally get off of them and be fine. But some of us, it's just a longer road. Maybe mm-hmm. it's a forever road. Maybe it's a few years. Whatever it is, it, it it's it's normal and it's okay. I just, I hope more women give themselves more grace to like have that support from a medicine because there are so many of us that do need it. And then there's all the barriers to mm-hmm. just actually getting there. Our own barriers and cultural barriers as well. Totally. Yeah. Wow. And so when you first were postpartum yeah. and you were feeling like unwell and all over the place, Ooh, yeah. how did Trevor show up to support you? Or oh, was this God. hard between you guys? It was, it was a, hard between us. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's hard. I think it was hard. It, I mean, I can't imagine what it was like watching me because I would just sob in those first months and be like, I don't feel anything. And if I do feel anything, I feel horrible. It's sadness. It's true. I was truly suffering from postpartum depression. And I would just sit and stare at Kai and cry because I'd be like, I don't feel anything. Like, I don't feel connected to this baby. And like all the things that I had felt before being a mom around babies weren't there. Like I, I was numb. And Kai, we did a week in the NICU and he was on oxygen for two weeks after the ICU. And so his entrance into this world was not easy. And there was a lot of trauma just from the birth and immediate postpartum, you know, period itself, which was hard on 
all of us, and I think Trevor was trying to show up in the best way he could while also processing the trauma of watching me go through something really horrific and then our son be, you know, in the ICU on all these monitors and stuff. But he would just like, I would just sit there and cry and he would say, I wish you could see what I was seeing in you. And he would just affirm to me, like, you're such a good mom and you're crushing it. And I know it feels a certain way, but that's not how it looks to me in the sense of like, you're doing well. And I just thought I was, I felt so shameful that I didn't feel certain things and feel super connected to Kai in the beginning. I felt so guilty and I was just a wreck over it. And Trevor just kind of held that space for me to just continue to uplift me, affirm our connection and just tell me it was going to get better, which it does because postpartum depression dissipates after your hormones regulate after a certain period of time, unlike clinical depression. Mm -hmm. So he just held the doorway or the window open to the light of the other side and just held me through getting there. But I, I honestly can't imagine how how awful that was. Yeah, I know. I know. I mean, it's like you're you're dealing with a baby, but then this your wife is falling apart. It's like, and I was just breastfeeding and getting mastitis every week. And it was just like, it was a hard, hard time. But, you know, love gets you through. It does. Yeah. I totally relate. Yeah. Yeah. Looking back, I don't know. I don't think I had postpartum depression, mm. but I had postpartum anxiety yeah. and OCD, which just yeah. heightened the anxiety and OCD that I already had. Yeah. And that can make you depressed. So maybe I was depressed, yeah. you know, all the things. But I so remember being in Hawaii with Jonathan and Atticus. Yeah. Atticus was like six months old and I was in the bath. So the hormones are still raging. Raging. I was just crying so so hard like for I'm not sure what reason there wasn't really a reason like hysterically out of control and I remember like saying to Jonathan I wonder when Atticus is going to be old enough that this is like not good for him to be (laughs) around because you know when they're newborns they will see you do anything because they're with you 24 7. I mean he was still so young but I was so hysterical I was like maybe you guys should leave this is seems bad because if he saw me do that now he'd be horrified. Horrified. Yeah I know it's so true now when they're really witnessing us it's like you really got to be on but those first months I mean it's almost like you're just on somebody else's ride, the yeah. hormonal ride. Yeah. And you're like, oh, oh my Lord. I know. It's I, not easy. It's no, no small thing. Totally. Oh, my God. Yeah, I think I need to up my medication now that we're talking because I've been on such a low dose too. Yeah. And it's always worked really well. Yeah. But suddenly I feel everything. Like, I mean, I feel everything no matter what. Totally. And I think that's a whole misconception about medication. Very like, much so. It just numbs you out. And yes. if you just feel it and move through it, then you'll heal. Yeah. I feel everything. No, I feel Trust everything me. still yeah. the same. Yeah. Yes. Like, I've always been feeling everything. <laughs> this just makes life somewhat manageable. Wow. Okay. So tell us a little bit about yes. Made of Rivers. And also, yes. I wanted to ask your permission, maybe we could put one of the, well, I don't know. Should I call it a song or a poem I know. from the EP? We can call it a song, can I guess. Can we put the song, one of the songs in this episode somewhere? Absolutely. Okay, cool. I, it's people have so to hear. cool You can people. pick your favorite. Uh, totally. I mean, I, I, I'm so grateful to have done that project with Trevor because I just feel like it makes the poetry 
like li- it lives in a different way. It's so mm-hmm. it's so it was so fun to create, so natural. And I love that people are experiencing the words through this like new sonic landscape that is Trevor's composition to it. Yeah, so it's been a beautiful kind of second wave of Maida Rivers out into the world. Yeah. Oh my God. And you'd been working on this book for a long time. Yeah. It's so funny. I remember I was thinking about just this interview. I was thinking about a, I had a meeting with a friend and a mentor in Boulder before I ever got pregnant, right before the pandemic. And I remember saying to her, like, I really want to get X, Y, and Z done because then I like want to get pregnant and have a kid. And I just want to get all this done so that I can just like then be a mom. And I'm just worried that I won't have the time when I'm a mom to do, to accomplish X, Y, and Z, right? And I remember she looked at me and she was like, I'm going to challenge you on that thought and that preconception of motherhood because I have never been more productive than since I became a mother. And I feel that has been so true for me. And time is different. I can Mm -hmm. do more in one hour of my life in a day, like more in one hour than I could have done in a day previously Same. to having a kid. Totally. And I wrote Made of Rivers when I was like six months six months postpartum. And and really it really started then and then I spent the next maybe year writing it. But like I just it's so funny to know that like I wrote this book and this biggest creative offering of my life in the depths of raising a, a really young baby. And that's been so beautiful. It's so true, the efficiency thing. I had someone tell me that too. Yeah. Kimberly Snyder, she lives here and she has two kids and yeah. she's like, she's does everything that an entrepreneur could ever do. Yeah. And she doesn't have a nanny, never has, like nothing. And Incredible. I'm like, how do you do how? that? Um, yeah. And she said, becoming a mother, you will just become so efficient. You become so efficient. I have efficient. found that to be true. Although we do have a nanny and otherwise, I'm not sure how I would yeah. even be here. It's Thank God for perfect. the village. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And you're also one of the people who helped me realize that it was okay to get a nanny. Yes. Oh I mean, God. I had a nanny growing up. She's Ditto. the closest person in my life. So Literally. I, I knew it was okay. Yeah. But I still felt like I can do it. Oh I can my God. do it. I can run a full-time business and be a full-time mom. I, I don't know where I would be without the help that <laughs> yeah. we've had for Kai. Like I, <laughs> totally. it allowed me to write the book. And then yeah. also more than that, like just in launching a book and being an entrepreneur, I'm, I feel more creatively on fire than ever in my life. Mm-hmm. And I think a huge part of that is because I'm no longer just working for myself. I'm working for my family, yes. like I have, it is not lost to me that all of this is for Kai and this baby to be. And the work just takes on such a different meaning and depth. And I feel more creative than ever. And I need childcare to help me like put stuff out into the world. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, we, we all need support. And I think leaning into accepting the help of the village that will raise you know, that helped raise us and that will help raise our children is so important. And yeah, I don't know where I'd be without it. Yeah. Truly. A hundred percent. Yeah. Do you guys have the same nanny that you had since the beginning or has it shifted? No, it shifted. And then literally <laughs> our nanny moved last week. So we're oh. currently without a nanny, uh-huh. <laughs> which is, you know, it just is what it is. But yeah. There's a lot of turnover in those jobs. I know. Yeah. I didn't know that coming into this because my nanny from that I grew up having, yeah. She started working with my family when I was three weeks old. Yeah. Stayed with us until I was 12. Yeah. And then like we still saw her all the time. Literally and same. I had I literally she worked in my house. Till I was like 20. 
six with like she just her job yes. changed. So, so it I, was a, the continuum. Right. And yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, wait, this is not how it's been. I for thought us. that that was the only thing that existed yeah. because I will not really. But I thought like if you find the right fit. Yeah. That's what happens. Yeah. Because they love the baby and then they become family. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's our experience. Hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> I say that I have like some kind of nanny karma yeah. because of the turnover. Yeah. And it's not. I mean, Atticus is perfect and they yeah. all agree. Yeah. They love him. Yeah. And us and it's just there's been so many yeah. random things that have not worked out no it's not just you I, yeah it's our, our nanny moves states like she just mm-hmm. moved and it's just like life happens totally and the turnover is real and yeah you just do the best you can yeah I know I'm like what I will do anything to keep you like literally <laughs> anything I've had that conversation with one of our nannies I who, know but no I'm very happy with this situation now and I believe she'll be with us for a while yeah yay for help yeah absolutely absolutely so I want to ask you some of the questions I ask everyone who comes on please oh I'm excited your sun moon and rising sun Ooh. okay I am cancer sun virgo moon scorpio rising oh my god I mean I knew you were a cancer but I don't think I ever knew your moon and rising yeah, Virgo comes through so strongly, I think, in my art and my perfectionism. And I have a lot of, I'm an eighth house son as well. So mm-hmm. Scorpio, I know Scorpio very well. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh my God. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So Atticus is a Scorpio rising. Is he? So you'll have to teach me all the things. Oh my God. Yeah, that's such an interesting, it's an intense placement. Mm-hmm. It really is. There's, you know, I feel like there's no turning away from the dark when you have that placement. And I've really learned how to like dance with it and sit with it. And I think that's probably why I have such an obsession with grief and Mm -hmm. death and life and uh, mysticism and philosophy, because there's something that drives me to just like, know, like to see beyond the veil, to see beyond the bullshit and just get into the depths, into the dirt and the nitty gritty of life. Yeah. Yeah. There's no room for shallowness in this life. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah. My son is in the eighth house too. Is it really? So you know Scorpio. Yeah, Yeah. I do. Yeah. It's really hard sometimes. I know. And my midheavens in Scorpio, Pluto in Scorpio. Is it? Which you probably have too, Pluto in Scorpio. I think. Yeah. Well, because we're both 1990 babies. But yeah. So wow. Oh wow. My God. Well, then you're doing the perfect work. You're yeah. like by sitting here talking in the depths with people. Yeah, it's yeah. true. I don't know any other way yeah. than to be so. <laughs> yeah, there's not even a word no. for it. Yeah, we both did it at the yeah. same time. I think that's why we love each other. Yeah, already. exactly. That's so true. <laughs> and what's your human design? I don't know. You have to tell me. Oh, my God. We I have feel to look like you up. did this one. I really don't. Wait. Yeah, I think I did yours once. I, um, I'm a projector. I, I would guess that you're a projector. Okay, we sh- we'll do a whole deep dive okay, tonight. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I did it last time you guys were on. I feel the podcast. like you did because you were a projector and Trevor was a generator, right? Yes, I think so. And one of the things I really remember that you told me was he was like caves and I was shores. Yes, and I really have thought about that a lot since you told me that. Yeah, Which shores. Oh wait. Yeah, Jonathan is shores too. You're, really? You guys are like the melting pot, mm. which is so you. I mean, that's your literal Hello. life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. I know. Okay, we need to yeah, take we'll more do into that. Thing. And we have to do Kai's too. It's so fun. Oh my God. So fun. Who are your mentors? Oh God. Who are my mentors? Oh, so many. One of the biggest guiding lights in my life is my guru, my teacher in India. He is someone that from the moment I met him, I felt seen by him 
and he deals with so much. He lives in an ashram under a bridge in the middle of India, barely has any money, takes care of 20 or so orphaned children or impoverished children at a time and has the most beautiful and bright perspective on life. And since COVID and having a kid, I ha- we haven't gone to India. We used to go every year to see him and, and those moments would fill up my cup, but he'll FaceTime call us, you know, really randomly every couple weeks or so. And he just has this way of these one-liners that just shatter everything that I've been worrying about and bringing me really back to my core. You know, he basically married Trevor and I, and I feel like he is this like space holder over there, over the ocean in India, sitting in his ashram, just holding the most beautiful space of love for me and my life and for Trevor and his life and for our marriage together. And I don't know where I'd be without him. I feel like in my darkest moments, I remember him and I, I just feel like it's just this steady, steady. He's the, He represents a steady space for me in the midst of the chaos of life. So he's definitely one of my biggest mentors. And honestly, I feel like Trevor is a mentor for me too. He's lived through so much of, you know, he's lived the artist's life and yeah. and he's he's experienced everything under the sun. He grew up really fast and... I've been leaning on him a lot throughout this Made of Rivers process because he's just so well-versed on what it takes to, you know, be out in the world, put your art out and be an artist. And I really value and trust his opinion because I look at him a lot and I'm like, I don't know how you do what you do and how you're so vulnerable and share so much. And and for me, like, I'm more guarded and I'm the vault, so as Krista calls me, and, and he really kind of teaches me how to be out in the world and vulnerable and brave enough to share kind of your inner heart. And I lean on him a lot for that and for support and encouragement when I'm doubting myself, which I do all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. And it's true. He's, I mean, he's like been living that life of sharing your art with the world. Yeah. No matter what anybody has to say about it, because you can't control the haters. But I don't, I don't imagine that you guys would get many haters. You'd be surprised. I mean, (sighs) people are crazy. People are People are mean. Mm-hmm. Horrible. Truly. And I think that's, I've had to balance that because it, all it makes me want to do is be more guarded. I know. And you have to stay I know, but open. that's what they want. That's what I always tell I myself. Know. Like, people do that yeah. I'm, with me every day. And I'm like, yeah. okay, I don't want to share anymore. That's like the thought that I used to have. Same. But then that's what they want. That's so what, actually, like, yeah. no, I'm going to keep putting yeah. it out there. You can keep hating on it. You can keep being obsessed with yeah. me because <laughs> gonna keep sharing totally I, I feel like Krista always says to me like if nobody's hating on you like you're not yeah. doing anything like yeah. her line is like you know you made it when you yeah. have a hater she she has helped me with that a lot and she told me like that is PR that you can buy <laughs> like you you're so lucky like and I'm like she's like that is a you're marketing like, really? a marketing person's dream <laughs> But when when you're like the personal yeah. target of it, it's, it's hard. hard to see it that way. But I do try to look at it from her perspective because it always makes me feel better. Yeah, it's so true. And it, it just means you're putting something out there mm-hmm. and have the vulnerability and courage to do it. Mm-hmm. And so there's the dark and the light. They coexist. And we totally. just have to keep doing us and stay true. Totally. Yeah. And if you could be in it with three people living or dead, who would you be in there with? Oh, my God. That's <laughs> three? Yeah. <gasps> oh, my God. Neem Crowley Baba was the first 
person that came to mind. He was Ram Dass's teacher that he met in India. He is also, I think, a a silent mentor. He passed away, but I, I dream of being in a room with him and what he would say to me. My sister, I think that would be just, I don't know. I think about that often. I always, when I'm going through life, I think about what would she, what would she say right now? What would she think? She's kind of like, in a way, a guide because when I'm making decisions, I kind of think about her and what her watching over me. And that would be profound to be in a room with her again. Kabir. I don't know if you know the poet Kabir. I don't think so. He's one of my favorite, favorite poets of all time. He was a mystic in India and he was a weaver. And Kabir was a gateway to a lot of poetry for me. And he was just a a common man, a weaver, who would write poetry as he wove. And his words have impacted my life so immensely and really inspired a lot of my poetry. A lot of people know like the Rumi and the Khalil Gibran, but Kabir is like the core OG for me. Ooh, Um, I gotta check him out. Happy reading. Yay. (laughs) Yeah. Love. Yeah. And where can everyone find you and your book? Made of Rivers is available kind of everywhere online, Barnes and Noble and Amazon and also emeryhall.com. And my Instagram is at emeryhall and the Made of Rivers EP is streaming on every music platform. So if you want to, if you're more of a music person, we, Trevor and I created a like spoken word album. He composed music to eight of the poems from the book Made of Rivers. So that's everywhere you stream music. Amazing. Yeah. And you have other music out there too from when (laughs) you guys did those songs together, which are my fave. Yeah. He keeps roving me into singing on albums with him. And it's definitely not my most comfortable place, but it's been so fun. And he makes me feel so comfortable. And we literally just do it in our home studio. And so fun. And then they make it onto the world. Yeah. So cool that you guys do that. (laughs) Oh my God. And so amazing. Yeah. This was so fun. This is so beautiful. I already want to have you back on. I can already think of so many more things I know, to discuss. we need a second part for sure. I know. And I'm just happy that I get to hang out with you tonight yeah. and keep our conversation going. Yeah. Can't wait for our little boys to meet. I know. <laughs> oh my God. They're going to be so cute. So cute. Thank I can't you wait. so much. Thank you. What an I honor. Love. This was so special. Yay. Jaima. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. I'm so happy that you're here. Come say hi on Instagram at The Balance Wand and tell me what your favorite part of this episode was. Subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts and send me a screenshot of your rating and review for a free Soul on Fire yoga ebook. See you next Wednesday. Love you guys. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.